This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. All right, grab your Bible, turn to the book of Galatians, if you would, tonight, the book of Galatians. Uh, we're coming down to the end of our study of the book of Galatians uh, here. Uh, I, I want to say this is message uh, 39 or so from, um, from the book of Galatians. Galatians 6 is where we'll be at tonight, uh, turning the corner. We've only got, uh, counting tonight, uh, three more messages in the series. Uh, if you're missing the message, you can always get caught up on our website at huicala.org or subscribe to our podcast that way. Um, middle of February, probably closer to the end of February, we're going to kick off a brand new study of a brand new book of the Bible, but you're going to have to wait and find out what it is. And so uh, it's going to be good, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. Uh, I've been reading it as part of my, uh, this might tip it off, actually it won't. I've been reading it daily, the entire book, I've been reading it daily. I just thought to myself, oh man. Uh, and so if I'm reading it daily, you know, it's probably not like First Chronicles or something like that. Uh, but um, it's probably not Leviticus if I'm reading it daily, uh, but uh, it's going to be good, and I'm really excited about going through that together on Sunday nights. Uh, we'll be looking practically at how we magnify Jesus on Sunday mornings, uh, probably through the, the end of March and then uh, beginning of March time for, I'm sorry, uh, the end of March, and then uh, beginning of April, we're going to start going through, starting in Philippians 1.1, preach the book of Philippians on Sunday morning. Super pumped about that as well, uh, but I'm really excited about tonight's message, uh, Galatians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to take a look at the first six verses in Galatians 6. <laughs> Mind you, this is coming on the heels of probably what I think one of the most important passages of Scripture for Christians in the New Testament, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. How do we know if we're walking in the Spirit? Checklist right here. Uh, do you have love? Do you have joy? Do you have peace in your life? This is a checklist. We can figure out really, really easily whether or not we're walking in the Spirit based on am I doing, uh, exhibiting the virtues that are found in the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Do I have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life? If so, I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm doing what I need to do. And so this comes on the heels of this, and really basically this is based on the context of what we have. Again, when we study the Bible, oftentimes we try to pull verses here and there, but we forget that the Bible is written in, in sometimes a letter format like we find here in the book of Galatians, and we need to take a look at everything that's surrounding that. So this is coming on the heels of uh, Paul challenging them to crucify the deeds of the flesh, to walk in the Spirit, to exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 24, he says, and they that have crucified the flesh are with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. He challenges them to walk in humility in verse number 26. So Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Let every man prove his own work, and then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. As we take a look at this, I, I love verse number one here because it says, if, if somebody in our church body is struggling with sin, 
it's really easy to kind of turn a blind eye to sin. We know some things are going on that we don't necessarily want to deal with, or maybe I don't want to get in the middle of that, or I see somebody who's maybe slipping spiritually, and I don't really want to, not, maybe it's not my place to, to confront that, or I, I, I hear talk of sin, or I see sin, and I'm, I, it's easy just to kind of say, well, I'm sure that'll take care of itself, or I'm sure somebody else is on top of that, but uh, verse number one here gives a challenge as a family as a body. What do we do when someone's caught up in sin? Do we just allow it to, to run its course? Do we allow people to figure it out on their own? No, verse number one says, if a man be take, overtaken in a fault, the spiritual people are supposed to restore them. And so, first of all, for people to be restored in our church, we need spiritual people in our church. Uh, we need Christians who are willing to walk in the Spirit. So uh, if you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, write down this thought, we need spiritual Christians in our church. Now, it, it might seem like, uh, well, is there any other type of Christian other than spiritual Christian? The answer to that is yes. The opposite of spiritual would be carnal. You say, can one be carnal and still be a Christian? Yes, read the book of 1 Corinthians. It's written to a carnal church. It's a group of Christians who are not walking in the spirit, not doing spiritual things. We're involved in gross, egregious sins, one another. And Paul wrote to them and says, get it together. And so if we will be a church that gives God glory, if we will be a church that magnifies Jesus, first of all, we have to be a holy church. We have to be a righteous church. We have to be a church like Jesus. And for that to happen, there has to be spiritual Christians in our church. And you say, uh, well, how do I know if I'm a spiritual Christian or not? Do you walk in the Spirit? Are you led by the Spirit? We'll take a look at those in just a moment. But most importantly, are you a spiritual Christian? Verses 22 and 23 of chapter 5, if you look up in your Bible there, those should tell you whether or not you are a spiritual Christian. We need believers who are walking in the Spirit. Not just, uh, I'm in the spirit, out of the spirit. I'm, I'm living in the flesh one day and living in the spirit the other. No, 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 we're, we're walking in the spirit. If we take a look at verse number 16 in chapter number five, it says this, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we need believers who are walking in the spirit and we need believers who are led by the spirit. You might think, well, isn't being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit the same thing? No, walking in the Spirit means that I'm walking day by day in the Spirit, but being led by the Spirit means I need the Holy Spirit to guide me. And being led by the Holy Spirit is not some weird mystical thing. Uh, There's a a church that I don't believe is a Bible preaching church based on everything that I know about the church, uh, but they, um, the way to take my kids to school, uh, and there's a, a sign outside that says, contemplative prayer service at 9 a.m. And look, I went to Bible college. I've read through the Bible several times. I'm not an expert when it comes to to maybe religion and things like that, but I've never really understood what a contemplative prayer service was, so I looked it up. And it's the idea of sitting in a room in, in, in peace and quiet and listening for the voice of God. Let me just tell you, that's really, really dangerous because when things are quiet and I'm listening for something, I'll always hear what I wanna hear. And so we, we don't need to sit in a room and, and wait to be led by the Spirit in some mystical environment, some contemplated prayer services. Uh, you go in and there's a period of silence where everybody has to kind of settle themselves. Uh, they turn the lights out in the room uh, and, and they wait to hear from God. Hey, look, that's not a spiritual practice. Uh, that's not a biblical practice. That's a mystical practice. I'm not waiting to feel something. I'm not waiting to hear something. 
hey, look, God's given me everything he wants to tell me in his word. When I choose to walk in obedience to the word, I am walking and being led by the Holy Spirit. If I'm waiting to hear some voice, again, I'm gonna hear anything that I wanna hear. And so being led by the Spirit means I'm walking according to what the Bible says. Uh, I've crucified my flesh the way that he says to at the end of chapter number five, and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to guide me and guide my steps along the way. And if you wanna be led by the Holy Spirit, wake up tomorrow morning and walk with God, uh, follow the Lord's leading on tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and then do it again on Tuesday and do it again on Wednesday and do it again on Thursday. And before you know, you got seven days of walking with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit day by day. Again, the idea that God, you know, wants to reveal his will in some difficult uh, way that we have to sit in a, a quiet room at nine o'clock in the morning in a, in a church with all the lights off and, and listen for him, that's just not God. God is not trying to get you to unlock the secrets of the Bible. It's clear, it's for you there in black and white. I heard somebody before say, if you want to hear from God, read the Bible. If you want to hear from God audibly, read the Bible aloud. And I thought, man, it's so true. You want to hear a voice from God? He gave it to you, 66 books. We don't need a supernatural, mystical experience to hear from God. He's given us his word. You and I have more of God's word than any person in the Bible ever had at their disposal apart from Jesus Christ, the word incarnate himself. You and I have more of the Bible than the apostle Paul had. You and I have more of the Bible than the apostle John had. You and I, David had a fraction of what you and I have. So we have so much at our disposal. Don't go looking for some weird mystical way to connect with God. Connect with God through his word. And so we need to walk in the spirit. We need to be led by the spirit. We need to crucify the flesh. We need believers in our church that are willing to crucify their flesh. You know what that means? That means I'm willing to say, it's not about my own selfish desires. It's all about the glory of God. It's not about what I can get from this. It's about what I can put into it. Again, um, verse number 24 of chapter number five, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That means I've put my sinful desires to death. A spiritual church cannot coexist with rampant sin. It just doesn't work that way. We need to be walking in purity and holiness. We need a church that is pure and holy and let me just challenge you with this tonight. If you're walking in open rebellion to God and his word, you're putting yourself in a dangerous, dangerous situation. But more importantly than that, you're putting our church in a dangerous situation. The Bible says that if, if one member is sick, it affects the entire body. Uh, the Bible says a little leaven, leaven up the whole lump. And if you're walking in open rebellion and sin to God, you're putting our church in danger. Please don't do that. Please just repent and make things right with God. And we need church members who are willing to crucify their flesh and walk with Jesus. Next, we need believers who are walking in humility. Again, this is not my punch list that I think of, hey, here's some really good things that makes, makes people uh, uh, spiritual Christians. Again, if we look at verses 23 through 26 in chapter five, uh, this is basically a list that comes from there. Verse number 25, we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. But let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. It's not about me and what I can get from it. It's not about how good I look. It's all about the glory of God. We need believers who aren't afraid to stand up and be counted as a Christian. 
We need believers who aren't necessarily ashamed of their faith. We need believers who are willing to say, hey, it's not about what I get from it, it's about what I can give to it. Believers who walk in humility, one of the easiest ways to kill a church is to allow pride to run its course. Any drama, infighting that takes place in any church, any church in the world, the root of that is pride. The Bible tells us only by pride cometh contention. If there's drama in your marriage, you know what it comes from? Pride. Drama in your workplace, you know what it comes from? Pride. Pride ruins everything. That's why it's imperative that followers of Christ walk in humility. You need a good example of humility? His name was Jesus. Just walk in humility, making much of Jesus, making much of God our Father. So if someone in our church is in sin, struggling with sin, who's gonna help them? The spiritual Christians are. Let me ask you this. I'm not asking you to raise a hand. I'm asking you to take this. This is a rhetorical question for self-reflective inventory. Can I count on you as a spiritual Christian? Sure, pastor, whatever you need. Let me know. No, 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 no. Paul's given us the criteria here in Galatians 5. Can I count on you as a spiritual Christian? And if the answer to that is no, I would challenge you tonight. Would you do whatever you need to do in the next seven to 30 days to become a spiritual Christian that we can count on that can help this to be the church that Jesus Christ intended it to be? And and let me just tell you this. If there's sin in your life that you're not willing to make right, I wouldn't go, if I were you, I wouldn't go another 60 minutes with unconfessed sin in my life. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 that God chastens those that are his sons and daughters. And maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved. I would not go another 60 seconds without being saved. Because the Bible says, he that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Friend, you are in danger of God's punishment and wrath in a place called hell if you're unsaved. And so I challenge you here tonight, if you're not walking with Jesus the way that you should, start tonight challenge you with this. If you're not a child of God, start tonight. Because again, the only hope that you have for heaven is Jesus Christ himself. His death, burial, and resurrection has paid for the sins of mankind, but you must put your faith in Jesus and you must repent of your sin. It's the only hope that you have. For us as Christians, we call this the gospel. It's everything to us. Everything. Without the gospel, we are without hope. Without the gospel, we are without a savior. Without the gospel, we're just trying to make it the best that we can. But with the gospel, we have hope for every single day. So verse one tells us when other Christians sin, spiritual Christians help them to restoration. (coughs) Probably, uh, I'd say March, April timeframe, we're gonna start a six-week Bible study on Saturday mornings for men. And uh we're gonna create a lot of small groups of probably three to five guys that are gonna be led by a bunch of different uh, men in our church. And the idea of, of it is this, that we have spiritual men in our church that can help bring other people along with them. Not to say the guys that uh, are leading it will be perfect, but they're, they're men that I trust, men that I respect, men that I know that are spiritual men that can lead and guide folks in our church. But we need to take this very, very seriously. If you're struggling with sin, know this, I wanna help. I can't do the work for you, but I wanna help restore you. Why? Because that's what verse one is all about. 
Unfortunately, people get the idea that sometimes the Christian church is a group of folks who have it all together. That couldn't be further from the truth. It's a group of broken people in great need of a Savior, great need of the grace of God, and if you're struggling with sin, I want to help you. But I can't do the work for you, but I can help restore you. I can enlist other people in our church to come alongside you, walk that path with you, help you in the restoration process. And, And just that word, restoration, Again, take a look at verse number one. Brethren, if any man be overtaken to fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. To restore something doesn't mean that we just put it back to the where we were before. When you restore something, you restore it better than it was before. You know, my uh, dad and I restored a 65 Mustang, my very first car when I was, when I was 16 years old. And we didn't put in it the seatbelts that it had in 1965. We upgraded the seatbelts and we made it better than it was before. We didn't put the factory yellow paint on it. It wasn't like a, a, a pretty banana yellow. It was like that pale, terrible, like worst flower you ever seen yellow, right? We didn't put it back that original color. You know what we did? We painted it fire engine red. We didn't put the original hubcaps on it that it had in 1965. You know what we did? We bought some brand spanking new chrome rims for it. We didn't put the white wall tires that came factory on it. What did we do? We got BF Goodrich white letter tires and put on it. Why did we do that? Because we're making it better than it was before. That's what restoration is. Friend, if you're caught in sin, God doesn't want to get you back to zero. God wants to get you back to uh, working from a positive He wants to make you better than you were before, not just back to the status quo. So God wants to restore you. And and I'll tell you this tonight, our church is not perfect, but I know this, that there are spiritual people in our church that would help to restore you if you're struggling with sin. The problem with many Christians is we wait to be called out on our sin. We wait to be found out in our sin. We wait for somebody to discover our sin and then confront it with us instead of just taking it head on. It shouldn't be that way, but it has to be that way sometimes. How much better would we be as a church if we just all recognized, hey, I messed up here. I need to make this right. And we would seek restoration. As a pastor of the church for the last six and a half years, I've had probably, I'll say four guys come to me and told me that they struggle with pornography, four. I've had just about every conversation that I have with a guy, I'll ask him, you know, how's your walk with the Lord? How's your prayer life? You know, um, you know, how can I pray for you? Are you struggling with pornography? I just, I just ask that. He said, you just ask that? I ask it just because it's prevalent. It's a cancer in our society and it hurts our church. I've had probably two guys over six and a half years say, yeah, I'm struggling with it, but I think I got a handle on it. Could you keep me accountable? Yes. So if four guys have told me they're struggling, I asked two guys and two guys tell me they're struggling. Six guys in six and a half years have told me they're struggling. Do you know how many times I've gotten a text from somebody and say, Pastor, can I come by the church right now? And they show up with their laptop stacked on top of their iPad, stacked on top of their phone, and they're standing at the front door with all this in their hands. I know exactly what's happened. How many times has that happened? About a dozen or more. They didn't say, hey, I've got a problem. Could you restore me? They waited until they got caught. And then a whole new destructive process has unraveled itself. I'm saying get ahead of it. Don't allow it to come bite you at the end. Say, hey, I'm struggling. And here's the thing about it. 
So many times we don't ask for the help that we need when we're struggling with sin because we're afraid of what other people will think of us. You know what that is? It's pride. If you look back at your notes, what's one of the marks of being a spiritual Christian? Humility. You can't be a spiritual Christian if you're hung up with pride. You just can't afford it. So if you're struggling with sin tonight, I would challenge you with this. Set it to the side. Set your pride to the side and whatever the people think about you. And you know what I've found most of the times when people come out and say, hey, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z, sin. There's people around them who say, yeah, me too. I wanna pray with you on that. Hey, man, I, I struggle with the wrong thought life. I struggle with gossip. I struggle with complaining. I struggle with a lack of praise. I struggle with pornography. Hey, let's keep each other accountable. Hey, let's, let's get somebody else to pray with us and keep both of us accountable. You know what that is? That's the church at work there. And let me just tell you this. There is no shame in coming forward and say, I'm struggling with sin. Could you help me? None whatsoever. There is great shame in carrying your sin, covering your sin, hoping that it goes away, and never really dealing with it. And that, that's gonna eat you up from the inside. And just know this, it's only a matter of time before your sin comes out. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. You might think nobody will ever find out about it. Please just trust me, they will eventually. And it's better for you to get out in front of it and just confess it and be over and done with it and move forward. We had a family member of ours that passed away, man, 10 years ago. Five years ago, we get a letter in the mail from somebody saying, hey, I'm so-and-so's uh, illegitimate child. What? Guess what? They've been dead for five years and their sin found them out. And you know how hard it was to, to hear that, how hard it was to receive that? And the question that we kept asking, why didn't they just tell us? It wasn't a big deal. Because pride, shame, keeps us from being willing to be restored. And so I want to tell you this. If you're struggling with sin, this is a place where you can be restored. This is a place where you can get help. This is a place where spiritual people will rally around you to help you to come back to where you need to be in a right relationship with God. It's exactly what you need. The Bible says that carrying the burden of others is to fulfill the law of Jesus Christ himself. Verse number two tells us that. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's one of the reasons why I love, 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 love the local church. This is why no online church will ever replace the local church. This is why you, your pastor can't be some guy that you watch on TV because the Bible says part of being a part of the body is bearing one another's burdens. I'm thankful we had, we had three folks join our church today via church membership. Uh, Todd and Tamara Blankenship and Shadea Azuna. All three of them came today to say, hey, I'm here. I'm jumping in with both feet. I'm committed to this place. I wanna grow here. This is the group of people that I want to serve Jesus with. And I love that because it's a commitment to this local body. And you know what part of being a church member is? Saying, hey, I'm willing to shoulder the burden. I'm willing to take on a little bit of responsibility. I'm willing to do whatever needs to be done. Somebody needs to pray, somebody to pray with them, I'll pray with them. Somebody has a burden, I wanna hear about it. Somebody needs a meal, I'm willing to make a meal. You need me to show up early to church to do something, clean, watch kids? Hey, sign me up, I'm willing to do it. Bearing other people's burdens. 
The Bible says that when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. A lot of folks just say, what exactly does that mean to bear one of those burdens and fulfill the law of Christ? Interesting that you ask. A guy came to Jesus trying to, to trick him, and he says, hey, of all the commandments, which one's the biggest one? Like, if you could only choose one, what would it be? Now, can you imagine asking a, a police officer, hey, of all the laws on the book, which one's the most important to keep? You know, he'd be like, eh, I don't know. And they're all really important, you know? Well, I mean, should I not park in a red zone? Should I not, uh, you know, let off firecrackers without a permit? Which is the most important law to keep? I think that would baffle anybody. And this guy thought he got Jesus. Oh, got him. Which is the most important commandment to keep? And Jesus said this. And, and I can imagine Jesus. I don't know if he paused for effect while he stroked his beard. Because Jesus had a beard because beards are biblical. Uh, I don't know if Jesus like stroked his beard for effect or if he just like didn't miss a beat and hammered the guy. But I know this, Jesus knew precisely what he was gonna say. He knew the question before it was ever even gonna be asked because he was God. And he said this, first commandment, love God with every fiber of your being. And the second is almost like the first, to love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. And here's what he said. On this hangs all the law and the prophets. Isn't that crazy? Jesus said the whole entirety of Scripture could be summed up in two commandments. Love God and love other people. That's it. And you know what that means when we bear one another's burdens? We're fulfilling the law of Christ. We're loving God and we're loving other people. So Jesus is the greatest commandment was to love God and to love others. That's it, the biggest thing that we could do. And we as a church get the opportunity to love God and love other people. And hey, if you got a burden, I wanna help you carry it. You know why? Because Jesus says that's precisely what I was supposed to do. You got a neighbor who's carrying a burden, we need to, to carry that with them, bear that burden with them. This terrible thing is taking place in our community. You know what we need to do? We need to love and pray for those that were affected and love and pray for those who continue to serve. You know what that is? That's bearing the burden that they carry. It's not just a nice thing to tell somebody in uniform that you appreciate your service. It's fulfilling the law of Christ by loving our neighbor. And we're not just to love them with a token love. Jesus says, love them the way that you love yourself. And <laughs> And I'm not, a, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a, uh, anything along those lines. I have no license in counseling. But I found oftentimes just in pastoring that many people have no problem loving themselves. And even people who say, well, I don't really like myself. I think about it all the time. The fact that you think about yourself all the time says that you love yourself, you know? I hate myself and I'm, I hate the way that people perceive me. The fact that you spend so much time losing sleep over the way other people perceive you just goes to show that you really, really think a lot of yourself. And so, and again, I'm not saying that you, that that's not a real issue for self-hatred and stuff like that. I'm talking about the fact that don't say that that's, I don't like myself. The Bible says that we should love other people the way that we love ourselves. I'm constantly thinking about other people. I'm constantly concerned about what other people have on their mind. I'm constantly thinking about not my needs, but I want to love them the way that I love myself, the way that I take care of my own needs. Because being a spirit-filled Christian means living an others-focused life. 
Spirit-filled Christians aren't concerned about themselves, not concerned about their comfort, not concerned about their own well-being. They're constantly concerned about other people. Again, our handshaking time here might be death to you. <laughs> I get it. If you're, if you're an introvert, if you don't like shaking hands, if you're a germaphobe, this is not your gig. I get it. That's why I have san- hand sanitizer in the back on little pumps if you need it. There for, your, for you. But you know what? The handshaking time is not designed for you. How about that? It's not designed to give you something to do. It's designed to give you the opportunity to show the love of Jesus to other people. Think about that for a second. Did you know this morning, this morning at Hui Kala Baptist Church, there were people who came here to our worship service at 10 a.m. that did not know Jesus Christ as Savior? Didn't know him. Talk with a man this, this afternoon after service. Hey, did you grow up in church? Nope. He said, my dad was Catholic. We never really taught us anything about it. And I said, well, have you ever gone to church anywhere before you came here? Nope. This is it. You're a grown adult man that the only place he's ever gone to church is his entire life is who we call about his church. Wow, that's awesome. Praise God for that. But think about this for just a second. The only thing that he knows about Christianity and the local church is what he sees here. What was his takeaway? Was it Christians are the most loving, caring, selfless people I've ever met in my entire life? Or I stand around at handshaking time and everybody just kind of talks to the people they want to talk to and everybody walks past me like I'm invisible. I don't know. But we had the opportunity to shape what someone thought about Jesus' church this morning at 10 a.m. Did you think about that? Or did you think to yourself, this whole handshaking time is really awkward. I hope it's almost over. I'll go grab another cup of coffee. I'll go stand in line at the bathroom. Hopefully this is almost over. If you did, you're missing on the, out on the whole point of it. The whole thing, you're missing it. But miss it. Living a spiritual life is concerned about the well-being of other people. I met two men this morning that came in here not knowing Jesus Christ. One of them left hearing the gospel and not accepting. He knows what the Bible says, and he knows what according to the Bible where he stands with God. Had another man who's been attending, this is his third time here at Huikala. He was invited by a coworker. He was intrigued by what he heard. He continued to come back. First time week he was here, I gave him a copy of Paid in Full. He said he read it cover to cover the first week. After the service was over, he had some questions about the Bible. He approached one of our men and says, hey, I got some questions about the Bible. And through the course of the conversation, one of the men asked him, well, are you saved? And he says, I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure that out too. Can you help me? (laughs) Can we help you? sat down with the guy, went through the gospel, and he walked out of here knowing for sure his sins were forgiven, knowing for sure that he was saved. Man, praise God for that. Thank you for being a loving church family that can show people the love of Jesus Christ so that they continue to come back, so they continue to seek more, so that they continue to be thirsty in their soul. Can you imagine what would happen if we were stuck up, crummy, terrible, unfriendly church? We're not doing what Jesus called us to do. Love God, love other people. And here's the thing, I love God by loving other people. 
Any Christian who says, well, I love God, I just don't really like people. You don't love God because God's all about people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You're missing the point. I've heard, and I'll call them preachers because they're not pastors. I've heard preachers before say things like, I love the ministry, but I can't stand people. <laughs> and basically they're saying, I like to stand up and preach, but I don't like to deal with, with people and their problems. That's not a pastor, that's a preacher. A pastor is a shepherd, one who guides, one who directs, one who leads, one who protects. That's what a pastor does. You want to get up and talk about the Bible, but you don't want to take care of people. You're not a pastor, you're a preacher. And maybe we need preachers, but a lot of folks need a pastor. But being a spiritual Christian isn't about what I can get out of it, it's about what I can give to it. And friends, I want to challenge you. I want our church to be the most selfless place people have ever experienced their entire life. And we are, I just want to continue it. It's not like, well, I have a dream one day that we'll be a selfless church. No, we're doing it. We just need to take it up to the next level. Man, Easter, Easter Sunday last year, this place was jammed with folks, jammed. God did something special, something special. We ran out of chairs for people to sit in. And you know what happened? About 30 of our faithful, loving, serving church members stood all along the back wall back there. And, and Easter morning wasn't a short service. I I'm trying to think the last time we had a short service here. I don't remember when that was. I'm sure we did at some point. I just don't remember. But you know what? They stood back there, and none of them were just like, oh, I hope he's almost done. This is killing my legs. You know what they were saying? Praise God. Preach it, Pastor. Let them have it. Hope folks get saved today. Mm, I love it. You know why? Because it's not about us. This Saturday, we'll have the opportunity to go to a Hawaii Pacific University men's basketball game. And I like basketball. That's a nice byproduct. But if it was like the women's tennis team and we got to go and, and share a meal with college students who need to know Jesus, man, I'd be all for it. You know? I mean, it could be football and I would go. That's how big of a deal this is, right? For those of you who don't know, football, not my thing. Grew up in Kentucky. We never had a, a football team worth mentioning. Uh, but here's the thing. Sometimes people say, well, I don't really like basketball. It's not about the basketball. It's about being able to show the love of Jesus to 15 college men and their auxiliary support force that they've got around them and say, hey, this is how Christians live. This is what Christians do. I know I've never met you before, but I want to get to know you because I want you to know Jesus. And so I want to challenge you, be a part of stuff like that, not because you like basketball or not because you like sports or because uh, you need something to do on a Saturday. Do stuff like that because you love Jesus and you want other people to love him too. And look, here's the thing, honestly, I'm even okay if you want to come in at the third quarter of the basketball game and just show up for the meal and love these kids and show them the love of Jesus. I'm for that too. But hey, four quarters of watching basketball with your church family would be helpful for, for you too. You know why? Because it's not about us. It's about living an others-focused life. Here's the thing. We've already talked about it briefly, so we'll talk about it again briefly here. Pride ruins my ability to live for Jesus and help other people live for him. Verse three, for if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. If your parents were anything like my parents, you had some uh, coach or somebody along the way who invested in your life and told you that you were special and that you were different and that you, uh, you know, there was something special about you, <laughs> the Bible disagrees with that person. The Bible says if you think you're somebody, you're just deceiving yourself. 
The Apostle Paul would go so far as to say this, I know in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's nobody special in this room, not, not even this guy right here, your pastor, I'm nobody. Be the first one to admit that. Does anything good come from my life? It's the result of what Jesus Christ has done through me. Apostle Paul will be the first to tell you, in his flesh dwelleth no good thing. If there's any good thing that came from his life, and a lot came from the Apostle Paul's life, he'd tell you that it wasn't him, it was all about Jesus. And I can stand before you today and say, hey, if, if I have good kids and I believe my kids are a gift from God, if they turn out halfway decent, it was the grace of God in their lives, not anything that I did. I know this, that my marriage is what it is today because of the grace of God, 100%. I know that our church today is exactly what it is by the grace of God. I watched a video this morning and last Sunday night of our year in review video from, from 2019, man, so many people met Jesus. We had a record number of baptisms. We had the highest attendance of any service we've ever had in the history of our church last year. And I say, glory to God for it. We didn't do anything. We just obeyed the Bible and showed up and God did the rest of it. But pride destroys our ability to have an influence. When I think I'm somebody, when I think that God needs me, I'm destroying the opportunity to be able to live for Jesus, first of all, and to help other people live for Jesus. The whole point of the Christian life is this. I'm walking a journey. I'm walking a path that leads towards Jesus and I'm bringing other people along with me on the journey. Who are you bringing with you? Pride will keep you from being able to bring anybody at all. Pride will not make disciples of Jesus Christ. It'll make disciples of me. Pride says I want other people to be like me. Humility says I want other people to be like Jesus. Pride kills, can't afford it. Next, we must all seek to be useful to Jesus. Verse number five says this, for every man shall bear his own burden. It, it almost seems like a contradiction at first because verse number two says that we're supposed to bear each other's burdens and then verse number five says you have to bear your own burden. Uh, well, which is it? Both. I can help you carry your burden, but I can't carry your burden for you. At the end of the day, you've got to bear your own burden individual responsibility it comes this is true with the gospel as well i couldn't pray anybody into heaven if i wanted to oftentimes in talking about faith with people i'll ask them hey hey when did you trust christ as savior well i've always been a christian because my grandmother prayed for me every day from the day i was born so i've always been a christian no, you can't write on your grandma's prayers to heaven it doesn't work that way you got to make a choice for yourself at the end of the day if you decide to be a spiritual christian you've got to do that for yourself I can't do it for you. I can guide you. I can help you. I can bear your burden with you along the way, but you've got to do it for yourself. At the end of the day, if you decide you want to quit on Jesus and, and be a carnal Christian, guess what? You're going to have to do that because I can't make you be spiritual. But I want to challenge you with this thought of being useful to Jesus. Paul, as he writes to Timothy, says that in a house, there's vessels of honor and dishonor. There's cups or bowls or plates that you use for, for the good stuff. He challenges Timothy to be part of that good stuff. I want my life to further the cause of Christ. I want my life to be useful to the cause of Christ. I think most of us should say in here, yeah, yeah, I want to be useful to Christ. Good. What's something you can do in the next 12 months? be useful to Christ maybe there's sin in your life that needs to go maybe there's a wrong thought process that needs to be 
struck out of your life. Maybe there's a commitment to really walking with Jesus day by day that you need to make. What can you do to be more useful to Christ? For me, I want to know the Bible better. I want to be able to do what the Bible says and have an, always have an answer to give to somebody for the hope that's in me. I want to be able to communicate my faith better. Uh, I read three books on how to share your faith last year. You said, do you not know how to share your faith? No, I do. I just want to do it better. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I believe if my, my marriage was better and stronger, not that we have a, a bad marriage. I think we have an incredible marriage. But if it was better, I think it would draw more people to Christ, give more people an example to follow. And I want my marriage to be better this year. I want to be a better dad to my kids because I want to be able to be an example of what a, a spirit-filled father looks like. I want to be a better pastor to you guys because I want to serve you better. I want to love you more. I want to challenge you more. But really, at the end of the day, it's just about being more useful to Christ. What can I do to Jesus, cause Jesus to use me more? And I want you to think through that because for every one of us, it's going to be different the way that we're more useful to Christ. But at the end of the day, you got to do your own thing because only you can fulfill your unique role, your unique calling in giving God glory. Only you can do that. What's God's will for your life? God's will is that you would give him glory, guaranteed. Revelation 4.11, for Jesus' pleasure, we were created. Guaranteed. Every single Christian, you're here to give God glory. How do you do that? It's different for you than it is for me. Our life situation is different. Our vocation is different. Our background is different. Our sphere of influences are different. So you have a unique calling to fulfill giving God glory in your context. And the Bible says in verse number five, only you get to do that. You're going to bear the burden for that. But it's an opportunity to give God glory through your workplace. It's a God-given opportunity for you to give God glory on the street that you live on. It's a God-given responsibility to, to give God glory in your sphere of influence that you have. Man, it's, a, it's an awesome, golden opportunity to be useful to Christ. Final thought here tonight, verse number six. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we grow together with other Christians. Verse number six talks about the relationship that we have as we grow in the word together. Take a look at what verse six says here. Let him that is taught in the word, if you've been taught the word of God by another Christian. Share that and pass that on with another person. Communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. It's kind of this cycle. You'll find in discipleship that as you go through and you learn the word and then you have the opportunity to teach someone else the word, sometimes you get more in teaching the word than you do the first time you were taught. And sometimes the person that you're teaching the word ministers to you and encourages you. Had coffee yesterday morning with a, man in our church that's new in his faith. Only been saved for a few weeks, but he was telling me, man, the other day at work, I went off on one of my coworkers. And he goes, I was so angry, and I just let him have it. And he goes, like 30 seconds later, I was just overwhelmed with guilt and sadness and like, bro, this is not how you want to live your life. And he goes, where does that come from? 
I've never experienced that before. Brother, it's called the Holy Spirit. And he goes, oh, man, that's harsh. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. He goes, the second that it was over, I knew what I'd done was wrong, and I just wanted to make it right. And he goes, and when I was angry, the words that were coming to my mind, I was just like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And he goes, that's the Holy Spirit, huh? Yeah. And I, and I sat there with this guy who is, is feeling the effects of the Holy Spirit convicting him of his sin and reminding him all the things that Jesus taught him. And I thought to myself, this is precisely what Jesus was talking about in John 14, 15, and 16 when he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna send him to you. He's gonna convict the world of sin. He's gonna teach you the things he's, that, that I taught you. He's gonna remind you of the things that I said. And as this guy's talking about what happened in his work last week, I'm thinking to myself, this is precisely what Jesus told us would happen. And you know what it did? It fired me up. Oh, I was so excited. I said, bro, I'm so proud of you. And he goes like, I went off on a coworker and and lost my temper. Why are you proud? I'm proud of you because you recognized the work of the Holy Spirit and you felt terrible about it. And he goes, how do I make it right? You ask God to forgive you and you ask your coworker to forgive you. But you know what? I walked away from that going, yes. God, you're so good. Why? Because you've gifted us with your word so that we can know you. You've given us your Holy Spirit that even a baby, baby Christian can recognize, whoa, I was totally out of line. I don't want to live that way anymore. And you know what? As this guy's grown in his faith, my faith is being encouraged as well. You know what that is? It's a cycle that we go through of, of I'll encourage you, you encourage me, and we'll do it together, and we grow together. I'm so excited about our discipleship that starts on February 5th. If you've never gone through discipleship, sign up. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. You know why? Because it's us growing together. And I'm excited because I've already begun to, to pair some folks up, uh, and I had the opportunity today to pair up a guy who just finished discipleship with a younger Christian who wants to go through discipleship together. And they're both fired up about it. I love that. You know what that is? That's us growing together. I love our small groups that meet on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. If you're not part of a small group, show up for one. What is that? That's us just growing together week after week, sharing prayer requests, sharing praises, talking about how good God is, learning the Bible. How are we doing it? We're doing it together. Because together is how God intended it. That's why, that's why, again, I love the local church. Before I was ever even a pastor, I committed my life to the local church because Jesus died for the church. I wanted to love the church, serve the church, bring up my family in the church. I know church is perfect, this church included, but I believe in the power of Jesus' church. I believe this church has the power to change the world. I believe this church has the power to change our community, change our city. I've seen it change our block. I've seen it change people's lives. This place. One guy walked away here today with a lot of questions answered about eternity because of this church, because of these people. Hey, look, commit your life to something that's gonna matter. Somebody told me there was a football game today on today. I don't know anything about it. But I'm telling you this, in the scheme of eternity, whatever the final score was today did not matter. Didn't matter at all. Commit your life to something that's gonna last I want to commit my life to something that's going to outlive me 
and something I'm going to get to see in heaven one day. The guy that I had coffee with yesterday I had the opportunity to lead him to Christ weeks ago. And you know what? When this life is over, my car is probably going to be crushed in some junkyard somewhere. The place that, that we're living right now, somebody else is going to live there or it's going to be demolished. The clothes that I have will be out of style before the end of the week. <laughs> the things I have won't last. That guy, though, he's going to be in heaven with me one day. And I don't know what it's going to be like. I just like to think in my mind, like, are we going to be in heaven today? Like, I see him, like, bro, we like high five and give each other a hug and be like, Jesus, yeah, I know, I already talked to him. What? How awesome was that? I think about stuff like that. And maybe I'm weird like that. But I think, I want to live for something that matters. I want to get fired up for something that matters. I want to live this life with purpose. I don't want to just wake up and punch a clock and do some work and go on the next day and do it all over again. No, no, I want to live for something that matters. And let me tell you this. Jesus matters. And Jesus gave us one place to live this life together in the local church. We need each other. You that are spiritual, let's help those that are struggling with sin. If you're struggling with sin, stop being embarrassed by it and just step up and say, hey, I need help so that we can restore you, so that we can be stronger together. And take what you've learned and pass it on to somebody else because that's how we grow stronger together. You think that you're somebody, you think that you're God's gift to this church, just check yourself and realize you're nothing apart from the grace of God. And this is a place where you're needed, where you can grow together wherever you're at to give God glory together. I love our church. I hope you love it too. I hope you pray for our church. I hope you pray for your pastor. I believe we have the greatest days of who we call a Baptist church still ahead of us. But you know what we need to achieve all that God has in store for us? Spiritual Christians. That's it. Believers who are walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, crucified to the flesh, walking in humility, and recognize their own limitations. Christians who exhibit love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's what spiritual Christians look like. Let's be those folks. You say, that's not me. I'm not there yet. Good. Help us get you on that path to being that. If that's you, man, let's jump in both feet this year, fully committed, throttle wide open to the cause of Christ until we get to see Jesus face to face. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.